Take the money and run. All right, welcome back here. Snyder Arena, second intermission report. I'm Mike Magnet with John Leahy, and joining us here with the Providence Friars leading Merrimack one to nothing at the end of two. Joining us is Mike McMahon from the MacReport.com and the Eagle Tribune College Hockey News as well. And well, Mike, you had the, uh, the uh, I guess the fluke goal scored there by Jake Wallman from Center Ice, and uh, you know goals are at a premium against Providence. You can't afford to have things like that happen. The dump in from Center Ice that somehow uh, eluded uh, Colin Delia, but uh, at the same time, Merrimack caught a break not too long before that on a goal that was disallowed because of a whistle that uh, was blown by the official, couldn't see that the puck was still free, so I think things tend to even out, that was the case there. Yeah, they have a, a way of balancing themselves out. You know, I think they've had some they've had some periods of this game where they've played really well, particularly I think probably those last four minutes, of course it helps that they have the power play there, but uh, inconsistency, uh, I guess, has been the name of it. I mean, they've had some periods in the uh, between the first and second where they've looked really good and they've controlled the play, and then they've had some sequences, some five or six minute stretches where they've uh, really been hemmed in and, and had difficulty getting the puck out of their own end. 10 to 10 shots in the second surprises me. I feel like it was about 20 to 10 in favor of the Friars. Yeah, well, I was actually just noticing this. It was 10 5 with about four minutes left. Uh, and granted, they had that power play, which helped a little bit there, but uh, they had those, the last four or so minutes of the period was one of those stretches where they were able to, to generate some chances and even it up. But yeah, no, for large portions of that second period, especially early on, it was all problems. The play where Matt Tibbet got hurt, did you get a good look at it? Uh, it didn't look good as he was coming off the ice. It didn't, no. And it's hard to see our angle here. I mean, obviously, I'm sitting right here next to you, uh, but but we're kind of we, we can't see that board real well because of the way that the press box is positioned. So I didn't get a real good look at it. Uh, other than the contact, I'm not sure. I, I didn't see anything after he went down. You couldn't see the ice. But yeah, once, once they got him up, it, it, it looked like he was uh, shaken up to say the least and, and obviously hope for the best there because he looked like he was in some pretty tough shape. Well, certainly can't afford to have more guys go out. Uh, Brett Sini certainly out now. He's missing his uh, what is it, third game in a row, I, I believe here, third full game in a row, and uh, any, any indication that you, you're hearing as far as when he might be back? Uh, it doesn't sound like they have a timetable. I mean, it's one of these things where I think it's going to be evaluated on a week-to-week basis, and uh, it, it doesn't seem like they're setting a timetable on it, whether it's going to be X number of games. Or, you know, I, I said this earlier this week, I think it's it's an, it's not a bad time to have it happen. If it, if it has to happen at all, it's not a bad time to have it happen. I mean, he misses a big series here this weekend with Providence, but uh, you just got the one game next week against UConn, uh, then you get nine days off, one game against Canisius, nine days off, one game against Army, and then you're into some non-conference games with that Dartmouth tournament in Cornell. So if, if it has to happen, they're in a stretch here where they have some extended periods off, and then even when they're back, it's some non-conference games, which are still important. But, uh, you know, he's not going to miss a home-and-home with BC or uh, a road game at BU later in the year. I mean, there's some big games coming up in the second half that he should be back for, uh, I, I would think. So it's, it seems like between the big breaks and the non-conference games, if it had to happen, now's not the worst time to have it happen. Yeah, they did have a one-goal game last night, losing by a goal, they're trailing by a goal here. You know, maybe he could make a difference in that regard, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, right now they're looking at one goal on the weekend so far through five periods of play. If you do that, you're not going to win too many games, and, and uh, yeah, you know, he might be your most prolific offensive player, but 
they got where they got through the first couple of months of the season by having a number of other guys involved in the offense, and, and that hasn't happened lately. So when, when scoring it dries up across the board, you know, that's a team-level kind of issue. Somehow they got to find ways to, to get more pucks in the net. It hasn't been happening lately. Uh, uh, you know, talking with Mark Dennehy last night, it might be the, the situation of, you know, he, he's thinking, you know, you when you're when, when things aren't going well for you, there's a little bit of a doubt. I certainly see, I think I see a number of times when it looks like a good kind of scoring opportunity is developing, that maybe that little player, it's like he's taking that extra split second to try to make the perfect play, and sometimes, especially at this level, that is enough for a guy to get over from the other team and get a stick in the way or somehow block a shot or, or, or you know, bump him off the puck or whatever it is. So, uh, I mean, it's like when things are going well, they're going well. When they're not, they're not. Yeah, and especially in the power play. I know I, I think I said that last week when I was on with you guys. It, it, it seems that way in the power play where guys are might be taking a little too much time to, to try to set something up or looking for the perfect shot. Uh, I think they did a better job last night, especially of getting pucks into the net. I think they had six on those three power plays. So Carl hit the hit the post tonight, so that was good. Yeah, and that was probably their best chance of the night so far. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's part of it for sure. And, and when you look at the fact that the, the offense dried up in January of last year when they started to struggle, and we're starting to see some of the same things here, especially for the guys that are returning. Clearly, they're, they're going to remember that because that's what happened. I mean, January, February, when they struggled last year, was the offense that dried up. And uh, I'm sure the guys that, that return onto this team know that, and, and you, you might see them grip the sticks a little too tight and just, uh, you know, trying to work through that mentally. Well, let's talk a story. I know that you've been covering pretty closely the Big Ten story about the, uh, the recruiting restriction uh, that they are trying to uh, push through, I guess, where uh, players would only be, uh, you know, they would lose a year of eligibility if they don't enter college within two years after. Uh, I guess their graduation date of high school, right? And uh, expected graduation date, which is is nebulous. Yeah, and, and when does that? That's the other thing that I haven't really gotten an answer on is when is that established? So, someone told me they believe it's freshman year. So once you start your freshman year of high school, your expected graduation date is four years after that. If you can held back your sophomore year of high school, now you've only got one year after high school to play juniors or before you'd start to lose eligibility. So it's one of the things that <laughs> no one seems to know. I mean, there's a lot of red tape here. Yeah, the intention being to uh, to, to have younger players. I'm going to bring down the, the age, I suppose. And, and I guess my question to you is, what's the impact on teams? Have you guys been, I know that some people have been trying to look at and figure out how many players are affected or would be affected. Um, I mean, let's look at this Merrimack team, for instance. Have you been able to, to, you know, to determine uh, how many players would be affected and I guess kind of a side uh, question that I've, I've been wondering is, as Merrimack has been going more and more to Europe, and I think you can expect that to continue with Bill Gilligan on the staff now, uh, you know, how does that impact things? And, you know, uh, you've got players in Europe who, you know, the situation may be different there where it's not always the case that you're playing hockey and going to school at the same time. And certainly that's true uh, in a number of the junior leagues in North America too. But uh, So I guess I'll ask you, the first, uh, come back to the first question there, which is how many players that, do you think would be affected that are on the roster right now? It's hard to say because we don't know when that high school graduation date was established, but uh, this is something I looked at earlier this week too, just just purely based on date of births, and this is just a guess. I think it would affect guys like, I think it would have affected Alfred Larson last year, Matt Tibbet, Alex Carl this year, Jared Colquist and Aaron Titcomb last year. I believe it would have affected Jonathan Lashin. Uh, so I, a lot of guys. I mean, there would have been a lot of guys on this team from what I can tell, just looking at date of births, that I believe this would have affected. Now, just because, you know, Alf Alfred Larson, for example, is a 93 
and he was a freshman last year in 2014. So he was born in June of 93, so he was 21 years old when his freshman year started. I don't know in Sweden when the, the cutoff date is for education, so I guess it's possible that he was two years beyond his high school graduation date. I'm not sure. But that, that is another thing that complicates things, by the way. Oh, big time, yeah. But just looking at date of birth, there's a lot. And, and there's no surprise. I, I know there were some people that looked at things this week. It, it seems as if it would affect uh, Atlanta hockey and the WCHA the most. Uh, those are the teams that, that almost exclusively recruit older players because that's how they're going to compete. Uh, Merrimack has is, is trended a little younger over the last couple of years. With Cini was an 18-year-old, Bogut's 18, uh, Spax, even Spax, when I believe is still 18, or just turned 19 a couple uh, last week, I think it is, yeah, the 27th. So he just turned 19 last week. So they're starting to trend a little younger, uh, but clearly, I mean, there's some guys here that, that this would affect. And, and one of the things uh, that I know Mark Denny brought up when we talked about it is a guy like Alex Carl, who was hurt and missed a, a year and a half of hockey for surgery, what happens with a guy like that? Is that guy penalized because he was injured, or, or is there an exception there? It, it, it just seems like for the amount of guys this is going to affect, which I, I think rough numbers is somewhere right now, somewhere around 100 to 150, and if you think there's 60 college hockey teams with roughly, you know, at most 30 guys on each, so maybe some, there's, there's somewhere around 15 or 1,600 college hockey players playing right now, Division One. this would affect maybe 150 of them. I, I just don't know why the change. You know, it doesn't seem like it, it's going to, it, even Guy Godowski, Penn State head coach this week, said it's, it's not going to affect as many players as you would think. Great. My response to that is then why make the rule to begin with? <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, quickly, I know we have to take a break. I think it's partly, hey, we're going to do something, push something through here. We're going to see what happens, see if we're able to get it through, and that'll tell us that we can do other things in the future as well. I think that's part of it. And another point I want to make, too, because I know we talked off the air, it's very interesting to, to, to me, is that you've got schools like Boston University that are in favor of this. Well, if this rule was in effect several years ago, Matt Gilroy is not able to play a senior year at BU, doesn't win the Hobie Baker Award. BU doesn't win the national championship. It boggles my mind. I don't understand why a school like BU would be in favor of it, but that, presumably that's the case. I know David Quinn was non-committal about it last night, but pretty much everybody thinks that they're one of the three schools in Hockey East that voted for it. I, I think the fact that he was non-committal... Uh, well, you know, solidifies it for me. I mean, there's 11 teams that are in favor. Six of them are in the Big Ten. There's only five out of another 53 that aren't. The fact that he wouldn't answer, I think, tells you all you need to know. I think this is an issue we'll be talking about for some time. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right. Should be fun. All right, Mike McMahon, our guest here in the second intermission of the score, Providence 1, Merrimack nothing. Back with more after this. This is Warrior Hockey.